It's homecoming, which obviously lends itself to a theme. Um, going home, coming home, making our way back home. There are lots of different ways that we might think about this. A few weeks ago, I showed up in Israel, got off the plane, walked through the airport, climbed aboard the travel van, and Fote, our tour guide, who I mentioned to you before, picked up the microphone that was on the bus, and as the tour began, he started it like this. Welcome home. Now that seemed an odd statement to a bunch of, you know, American pastors who could not have been any more obvious tourists like in the whole country, but he welcomed us home. And so in some sense, there was um, an understanding that Israel, the place where Christ came and lived and walked and taught and healed and died and rose again, there's some aspect to this place that is home for it's a spiritual home for those who believe and trust in him. But the funny thing was, as soon as I got back and landed in Charlotte, I thought, boy, I'm home now. Um, I was ready for a hamburger, let me tell you, some home cooking. Got back to my house. What did they say? Welcome home, Daddy. Got back to church. What did you all say as I saw you throughout the week? Welcome back home. Where's home? Is it Israel? Is it here? Is it a community of people and relationships? Is it a particular place or a geographical location? Is it food? I mean, that plays a big part in home. Is it our family? What, what is it? Well, for Christians, we say that ultimately to be home means to be with God. That's what home is. Home is a person. Home is to be with God. And the scriptures actually tell us all about this. Um, we learn in the very beginning that God made for us a garden home, the Garden of Eden, created a space for us and created relationships between people, but also with him. The scriptures tell us that God walked with humanity in the cool of the day and even provided food there for them to eat. So we see all of those elements there in the garden. Of course, that home was lost um, we, by, by way of a self-imposed exile. We said, well, this is great, but not quite good enough. We're going to search for something else. And we sort of went our own, own way apart from God. But, but, you know, if you go to the end of the Bible... If you go to Revelation, we discover there another home that God has made, a new home that's no longer a garden home. It's now a garden city. And that this will be the place where once again God lives with us. And so I want you to listen carefully, listen well, to Revelation chapter 21. The first few verses as it speaks to us of home. The home that still yet awaits us. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the home of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor shame anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing, O Lord, unto you, our rock and our redeemer and our eternal home. Amen. So there's the themes. They've been laid out. In the beginning of the Bible, there's a home with God, which we've lost. And then at the end of the Bible, there's a home that has, with God that has been reacquired for us. And of course, the middle is all about how God comes down to be with us in Christ so that that new home might be opened once more for us. Of course, the work of the cross and the empty tomb and the ascension, the sending of the Spirit is all part and parcel of that. That's the story in which we live. So it's important for us to recognize that we aren't living in Eden anymore. It doesn't take long to recognize that. And neither are we yet fully, completely living in that eschatological kingdom, in that new city that God makes as all things, the heavens and the earth and all things are made new. We're in between. And so as we think about homecoming, about getting home, about being with God, um, there are a few ways that the Bible in that middle section of the story talks about this journey. And so the first of those should be familiar with you. It's the story of the Exodus. That's what we should have been preaching on for like the last month, but I keep going off on these diatribes about Israel and homecoming and so on. We'll get back to the Exodus soon enough. But what's the Exodus about? It's the story of God's people in a land that is not theirs. Alien strangers in a land who have now become enslaved, being set free by God and being led to a new home, to a promised land, to a place that would be theirs, flowing with milk and honey and food and relationship with God and other people in the way that God desires for them. That's what that whole journey is. So if we think about how do we get home, well, the Exodus actually has a ton for us to receive as we seek to understand how do we live our lives here in the middle. Um, of course, maybe the next image, uh, it's not just a journey, it's not just a path. You can also conceive of it as climbing a mountain. Um, I was talking to Sam Carter this morning, and I think some of them went up and, and took a nice hike. Uh, in the last couple of days went up to a, a high peak. You can think of, of the spiritual life as a climbing of a mountain because in the middle of the Exodus story, we see Moses gathering up the people and answering God's call to climb Mount Sinai. And so the people come up a certain distance and the elders a little further and then Moses himself as representative of all the people goes up to the very top of the mountain. And who does he meet there? God. He meets with God there because to be home is to be with God. And you can see in the mountain image this aspect of heaven and earth being joined together. Heaven and earth coming together in that specific point, in that little peak. The peak is the place where 
it gathers up in all of the earth beneath it, but then touches almost the heavens which come down upon it. And that's the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where Moses meets with God and discovers, well, how do we act in relationship with God? Those are the commandments. How do we be in relationship with God's people? It's an aspect of home, this relational aspect. So you've got the Exodus journey, which has a beginning and maybe a middle and an end, but you also have an ascent, a climbing up into God's presence that is made possible by God's call. There's also another, there's tons of images, but here's the third one, the last one. So the last image is the image of, if you go back in the Bible a little bit, Jacob's ladder. You know, Jacob has a dream. Jacob is renamed Israel, the eponymous ancestor of the people, the the one after whom they received their whole name. So he has this he has this dream about a ladder that stretches from where, from heaven to earth, and does what connects earth and heaven. And he sees upon this ladder angels descending and ascending upon the ladder. And so we can also conceive, of, of course, of our life in the midst of these two homes on our way home as a journey, like Exodus but also as an ascent up the mountain where we meet with God and heaven and earth come together in the climb up Sinai where we see the commandments. But we can also think of it as Jacob's ladder uh, by which heaven and earth are connected. Um, And so we can think of it as something of a struggle of climbing little by little, bit by bit. It's sort of like the life of sanctification where little by little, by God's grace, you climb higher. And you heard me say, by God's grace, because that's actually an important aspect to this. Um, we don't climb the mountain under our own strength. We don't make the journey because we can navigate it well enough and we have some map that gets us there under our own power. We don't climb the ladder on our own. No, all of, these, all of this journey, which we're using different images to articulate, is made possible because of Christ. Um, Because Christ is the deliverer. If we want to think about the Exodus, Christ is Moses, who leads the people into freedom. But he's also Joshua, who leads them across the River Jordan into the land of promise. So Christ is that leader who leads us home. Um, But Jesus is also the one who meets us on top of the mountain. You remember the New Testament story where Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, which I saw at a great distance. I didn't get to go up there. I saw Mount Tabor, and this is the place where he met with them, where it was revealed that Jesus, you know, who did Moses meet up on that mountain? It was Jesus. That's God with us. And Jesus, the one who connects heaven and earth in his divinity and his humanity, is the one who beams with light, who is filled and radiates light out into the world. So that's the place where, where Peter then says, should we build tabernacles? Should we build a tent? Should we just make this our home? Here, where you are, Jesus? He says no, because God wants to make his home with us, in us, by Christ. And then finally, uh, the church will speak of Jesus as the actual ladder. Can you imagine that for a second? Who connects heaven and earth? Jesus Christ. He is the ladder by which angels descend and ascend. They do that upon the Son of Man. So that Jesus is both at the highest point in heaven. He is divinity. He is also at the lowest point on the earth. 
And he is at every rung of that hierarchy that we seek to climb along the way. Christ fills all things. Everything was made by him. He fills all things. He's at every place along that upward journey for us. He is the grace which maybe we don't cling to as a rung upon the ladder, but actually clings to us and lifts us higher as he fills us with his word and sacraments. So we see here some different images, but I, I want to I focus on a story. These images are helpful as we think about how do we get home for homecoming. But here's a story. Um, because Christ is himself is at every level, and actually his teaching is about how to help us get home, which is to be with God. And he tells a story, very famous story. I would think you probably know it. It's the story of the prodigal son. You know this story? Think about it. It's the son who leaves his father's house. His father has two sons. The youngest says, Dad, I don't really care about you that much. I would actually just like all of your things. So give me my half of the inheritance, and I'm going to go and live life on my own, because I sure don't need you. So he takes all these things. He takes his half of the inheritance. The father gives it to him. And then he goes off into a far country, spending his life in lavish living, spending his life trying to acquire things, trying to consume the world, trying to take itself, take the world into himself with no reference to God. It's Adam and Eve eating the fruit all over again. They just want the world and everything in it apart from God. So the prodigal spins and spins and spins and he acquires and acquires and eventually he blows all of it. The inheritance is gone and he finds himself at rock bottom. It's one reason we use that phrase. If to be with God is to be home or to be in the father's house is to be home, to be far from God is to descend the mountain is to go to the low place. And he finds himself in the very lowest place, in a pigsty, covered in mud, crawling up to the trough and sticking his head in with the pig so that he might at least have something to eat because he has nothing left. This is the best he can do. And it is in this moment that the prodigal son begins to think about the father's house. He begins to remember that's actually a spiritual act to remember. He begins to remember. And he begins to turn his life away from the squalor in which he finds himself. And he begins to long and place his hope in a return to that place. He says, maybe I can go back and even just be a servant in my father's house. Because even the servants in my father's house look better than this. And so with his hope planted in that arrival in that destination he begins a journey rehearsing along the way a speech that he might give father i i've, I've sinned against you i have done wrong i've i've blown it I've, I've wasted all these gifts that you gave me and now i want to i just want to be home can i just can i serve some way in your house and it's the story's like he kind of rounds the bend and he sees home and no sooner does he see home, having set his heart upon it, than he sees his father running to him down the road with his robes billowing out behind him and his arms outstretched. Foolish as he could be in his day in society. He's, he's running to his son and he takes him in his arms and he 
gives him a new garment to wear and he puts shoes on his feet and a ring upon his finger. And he, he says, you have come home. He says, we're going to have a feast. And they slaughter the fatted calf. And he tells all the servants to put together a great feast because my son has come home. He doesn't want him as a servant. But as a son. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It's relationship. It's identity received. It's forgiveness. It's relationship with the others. It's feasting. Food's always involved. It happens over and over again. This is it. This is that story. This is the whole thing. It's, the, it's kind of like the whole Bible or the whole universe in miniature in this story that Jesus tells. And so what I want you to see is how that story plays out. So first, the son demands the inheritance. He leaves home and squanders it. It's a picture of the fall. It's, it's how anytime we sin, we turn from the father and the gifts he gives. We turn from God and say, I just want to live life on my own right now for a minute. And treat the world as if it has no relation to you. It's, it's a picture of the fall. And fall and fall he does until he reaches the turning point. The turning point of repentance. Of metanoia. Metanoia. It's a turning around and orienting yourself again towards God. And so that happens at the pigsty, doesn't it? Have you ever done that? Have you ever discovered in a moment... You didn't realize you could end up in this place, but here you are. And what else can you do except turn around and hope for God? Maybe you've reached that multiple times this week. Maybe you've reached that place in some big moments in your life, just like the prodigal son who wandered to a far country. But that moment is beautiful and necessary. A turning around and placing your hope in a return. And then he starts back which is that exodus journey. It's the ascent up the mountain. It's climbing the ladder of Jacob's ladder. And so he makes this journey. And he comes back with a repentant heart and is drawn into the arms of the father who runs to him, full of forgiveness, full of reconciliation, reinstatement into the father's house and with feasting. It's a picture of restored communal life. What I want you to see this morning is that every single time you come to church, come to worship, gather as the people, you make that journey. It's the whole universe and the whole of your life carried out on a Sunday morning. You recognize that you're far from home. And that home is to be with God. And to be with God means to be with God's people. And so you come. Here, to this place, with these people. To meet with God, to be renewed in your identity, to be renewed in forgiveness and reconciliation. And so when we come, we worship, but we also pray the prayer of confession, don't we? We also repent. We turn towards God and place our hope in Him. Where we are welcoming into this big and lavish and celebratory and loving family of God, and where we also feast. You know we got food today, right? It's a part of it. It's a part of being home. It is a moment. Worship, gathered worship is a moment in time that participates in that final moment, that eternal reception into the Father's mountain house, right? That connects heaven and earth, um, where He runs to us and embraces us in the arms, which the church speaks of as the arms of Christ and the Spirit. This is how God gathers us in close to His heart. And so what I hope for you for homecoming this year is for us to learn the gift of repentance 
and of turning again and drawing close to God. What I hope for you this year is that you might receive renewal in your identity as one created and redeemed and sustained by the living God and also being drawn into an eternal communion. What I hope for you this year is that you might begin to conceive a bit more of your life as an exodus journey, as an ascent up the mountain, as a climbing of a ladder at which Jesus Christ is in every rung. What I hope for you this year is that you might discover your place with God and God's place with you. We might discover that eternal welcome um, that is yours in that final destination of God's kingdom and the holy city that comes down from God. I hope you also get a good meal. Because that's part of it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.